It's time for your weekly trip inside the ropes and behind the scenes of the Australian golf industry. Welcome to another episode of the Australian Golf Show with Tiffany Cherry and Mark Allen. Great to have you joining us. You're joined by a man who toured as a professional for 14 years, Mark Allen, also Australian Golf Media Manager, Martin Blake. How are you guys? Nice to see you again. And isn't it fantastic when we come back and it's a win for Australia? Minji Lee, what a star. Absolute star. Ranked number four in the world. She's finished tied for second, tied for third, tied for fourth so far this year. She's been threatening. We spoke about yep. her last week and you had a bit of a, a bit of a crack. Yep. And maybe she heard it. Well, she's come out and she's won the Founders Cup by two strokes and really toughed it out on the final day, Martin. Actually didn't bring her best on the last day. She shot 63 in the second round, but she only shot 70 in the last round. But what I loved about it, Marco and Tiff, was when it went down the wire, she got to the 17th, she's a shot in front. Yep. She's under pressure. She's not playing all that well. And she hit, She did not miss a shot from that point. So she had a great birdie chance on 17. Didn't make the putt, but goes to the last with a shot, one shot lead. Yeah. And then stiffs a wedge shot at the last hole and makes the putt. So yeah, yeah. executing... When you're under that yeah. pressure. Yeah, that's right. That's and and after what happened a little while ago when she was uh, first or second after two <laughs> rounds, when she gets into that last round right in the middle of that first front nine and she feels like, we know this because she said it, that she didn't know where her swing was uh, on that front nine, you know what kicked in? Her short game kicked in. Some of the up and downs she made, I mean, she only made one bogey when her swing wasn't feeling too flash. Some of the bunker shots uh, and the moments when she did miss greens – it was shelling peas. Yeah, yeah. That, that was the incredible bit. Now, that doesn't happen too often. Only the class players uh, in in that sort of a situation where, you know, she'd only won six times before this one. Uh, and she's a superstar. Now, only she's six. Like, only six. That's what Plus I thought, a major. Which is what I, I, I am a tough marker because she is so good. Yeah. So this goes to seven. You know, I've got a real feeling here that, She's going to go. She's going to get to ten and fifteen, much faster than she's got to her first seven. Is she going to get to world number one? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, Martin, you, you saw the stats that I saw this week, and we had no idea. We, we've always said she's a she's a ball hitting machine. But it, let it explain to people what the LPGA Tour put out as far as this stat was concerned, because it is ridiculous. So in terms of the world number one, firstly, uh, she's at, she's back up to number four from five this week. Uh, she's not far away from number three, which is Lydia Ko, but Jin Young Ko and Nelly Corder are one and two. They're a fair way ahead. And she'd she'd have to have at least another win. And yeah. they haven't played as many tournaments as, uh, as yeah, they so have she, as well. So she's a little way off, yep. but it, it's on her radar. And, and make no mistake, she, she is... After the world number yep. one, it's it's a target of hers. Well, give these iron stats out because I mean this is so this so, isn't world number one worthy. This, this is greatest human player in the history of the game worthy. <laughs> so this is proximity to the hole. This was tweeted last week. Yeah, I think it was before 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 during, the or, tournament. It was so from one hundred to one hundred and twenty-five yards. She's first. She's number one on tour. One twenty-five to one fifty yards first. Number one on tour. 150 to 175 yards first. Number one on 175 to 200 yards first. Getting silly now. 200 to 225 first. Can't keep going. 225 to 250 <laughs> first. first. So that's six <laughs> different separate distances with with her iron play where she's ranked number one in the world. Marco, you're an expert in this, yeah. this area more so than me and Tiff. Yeah. Yeah. Is it incredible? It's a pretty bulletproof swing, isn't it? Yes, it's 
Uh, and I've said this a couple of times on this podcast. It's the best golf swing in the world. Do you know yeah. what? I, you know, and it repeats. It repeats, Tiff, more than any other swing in the world. Do you know what I love about it? When she she hits a shot and she just sort of, and even if, if it's like a millimeter out, she'll just sort of uh, yeah, she's turn her left. head a little bit. And she walks change. away. It's like she's a good what? leader. She doesn't do the crazy lean like we see some golfers. Yeah, they really. And you look up, and it's yeah. you know, she just does a little head tilt lean. Come on, come back a little bit. Come back a little. Bit. And there it goes the other. Way. Come back a little. You watch her in the follow throughs. She's so in control. Um, but that 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 stat is outrageous. One thing I did notice uh, watching her play the last day, she was playing with someone called Lexi Thompson. Now, yep. if you don't know who Lexi Thompson is, she's a strong hitter of the golf ball, and it's a crazy swing. I mean, it's you know, it, she to almost, me, she almost jumps in the air as she hits. Yeah, her feet almost come off the ground. To me, it's got all the trademarks of Lexi learning to play the game with her dad's clubs. Mm-hmm. You know, they were probably too heavy for her when she was 10 or 11, um, and she's got right. into some bad habits. Um, but she's still a wonderful player, mind you. But Lexi Thompson hits the ball a million miles, a million miles. Minji Lee was just five or six steps behind her the whole way with a beautiful, controlled, gorgeous-looking golf swing. Get ready to be excited. I, I really think once she really learns to win – one major's not nearly enough for her talent. Yeah, and do you know what I loved about her? She was interviewed, obviously, post uh, posted uh, her win, and she spoke about this her experience. This morning, actually, yeah. fifth this morning. Yeah, and she spoke about her experience catting. Can you believe she's catting? She's ranked number top five in the world. She caddies for her brother, Minwoo, who makes his first Masters uh, finish in the top 20, which is unbelievable on debut. But she speaks about how she – just the great experience to be around the men and watching them mm. and how that has actually helped her game, helped mm. her this year. It also gave her an opportunity to have a week off in California and she practised um, before sort of before beginning you know, her season as well. But just that rivalry with her brother – and, and also her, her ability now to be able to learn from, um, not her ability, but the opportunity that she's had to be able to learn from the men and take that into her game this season. Why don't we have a listen to that now? You know, I think um, he did write something on Instagram or something that it would be a little bit of a motivation for him to win uh, or to play well. Um, you know, I think we sort of have like a, well, maybe not for him, but maybe it's like a silent rivalry. <laughs> um, I, you know, obviously I love seeing him do well and, you know, I'm going to, you know, support him e- either way. But no, I think it's a little bit of fun for both of us. And, you know, I'm one up, well, I'm two upping him at the moment. So he better get a move on. That's interesting, isn't it? They're, they're very close, those two, and they're extremely different, yeah. knowing them quite well. Minji's uh, are... very reserved. She's solitary. She practices on her own. Uh, we'll talk to Ali Whitaker about yeah. this later, actually, because Ali, Ali sort of knows a lot and travels a lot on the women's tour. But Minwoo's a very gregarious, you know, he's out there. He's a good uh, tweeter. He, he can be a yeah. bit up, he can be a bit up and down. Media. His golf goes up and down. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, they're, they're very different, but they're very close, like like a lot of siblings. A lot of people are on Twitter who listen to this, you know, they're, they're, they're modern people listening to podcasts. If you're not following both of them, you just just follow both. They're, they're really interesting and the different aspects of their golfing lives they tweet about and it's really nice to learn from. You know what? You've just touched on. They are a magnificent story and it's been told and it, I don't think it's been told enough as obviously siblings. They are right up there in terms of mm. an unbelievable yeah. um, example of incredible sporting prowess within one family. But looking at Minji Lee's uh, 
you know, her win, her victory this weekend. And if you look at the paper, you turn, you pick up the paper, back page, nothing, inside back, nothing. nothing. You've got to go nine pages back. Yeah. Before you start, you see anything about yeah. Minji Lee's it's, win. It's We're, not good enough. And there's a little thing about Tiger as well, and that's obviously where they've dedicated golf. Now, I'm talking about the Herald Sun. That's – and I, I didn't get a chance this morning to pick up the age. Uh, it wasn't right in front of me. But that is, I think, a disgrace to women's sport, to yep. women's golf. Oh, I'll tell you this. If Adam Scott or Jason Day won the Byron Nelson uh, this week, it, it would have been very close to the back pages or even just a little picture on the front page. That that's so that that's the chasm that we're faced at we, Golf Australia, and we've got to keep on making these points because Minji Lee is an out and out superstar absolutely. of Australian sport. Don't worry about Australian golf. Yeah, Australian sport it needs to be told more. Absolutely. Where does she sit? I wonder historically because Kari Webb's out yep. in terms of women's golf in Australia. Kari Webb, ages, yeah. uh, Rachel Hetherington, Jan Stevenson. Yep. She's in that mix. She's probably in the top three already. Yeah. But her trajectory, and I always, you know, and people say they don't like to talking about this, but I love talking about this. You've got to talk about this in the world of golf. Her trajectory is just starting to get on a 45-degree angle. I mean, I think it's been creeping along, maybe at 10%, just going along nicely, staying in the top 10 in the world, doing all the right things. I reckon you're going to see this red line of success go straight up. I wouldn't be surprised if she has seasons where she wins two majors and really gets moving. And what's going to make her a better golfer? Because I've just seen her iron play. Is it a is it a short her putting? What is it? Just belief. Just belief. Which we and saw it, on the weekend. Yeah, just belief. And, and, and that last round, like I said, she didn't make it first birdie until the twelfth hole, uh, and she stayed in the competition with Lexi Thompson. You know. Breathing at her heel, yeah, breathing down her neck. Uh, she just birdied the two par fives really on the back nine, uh, and that 18th hole was a ripper for her because it was a hybrid off the tee and a wedge to four feet. Um, and once Lexi missed her putt, then you know she was never going to miss that birdie putt as well. So she won by two. It's a big story in Australian sport, and I reckon what we've got about four majors left, three majors left for the girls because the girls have five. Yep. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think we've got four majors left. So. Look, if she can win two of those, what, watch what happens. Two. Watch what happens. Just, not, not just one. Yeah, a couple of weeks away. Yeah, you're right. Actually, you are, you are spot on. You know, you're spot on. I said that like winning makers yeah, is did. easy. Absolutely. It's not. I apologise. You, you are correct. But you know what? She could do it. She's got the game to do yeah, it. Yeah, she does. Hey, speaking of, we've got the PGA Championships coming up this weekend at Southern Hills. And I mentioned Tiger Woods, who's feeling like he's uh, he's just getting his body's back in shape. He looks good. Yeah, had He's just, walking well. Yeah, well, let's chat with Evan Priest, who's a, a Sydney journalist living over in the US, uh, to have a chat about the course and uh, a bit of a preview of the PGA Championships. G'day, Evan. Well, there's uh, a number of Aussies in the field. Exactly how many are, are teeing up? Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Tiff. Thanks for having me on the show. Um, we've got eight Australians in the field this week, and it feels like they're, all of them are a pretty decent chance. We've got, you know, obviously world number four, Cam Smith. Who is all, we've also got major winners such as Jason Day and Adam Scott in the field and some young talent like Lucas Herbert and Min Wee Lee. So this, this should be a really exciting PGA Championship for Aussie fans. Hey, Evan, uh, I played this golf course 30 years ago, and I can't remember one hole, not 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 a single hole. I, I remember it being a beautifully classic-style golf course, but can you give us an idea of what uh, you know has inspired you about this place this week? Yeah, exactly. Um, mate, I, I just walked around nine holes in a practice round with Cam Smith and his team, and 
he was saying it reminds him of maybe a Sydney course, you know, like architecturally really sound, but also with those gentle kind of rolling hills and some undulating fairways and boldly contoured greens. It sort of reminds me of, of an Aussie course, especially with some of the shaved areas around the around the greens there. And, and it's a really famous golf course in major championships. It, it's hosted three US Opens and this will be its fifth PGA Championship. And, of course, uh, famously in 2007, Tiger Woods won here when it was blistering hot. It was over a 120 degrees Fahrenheit or about 45 degrees Celsius every day. And Tiger was sweating for America. And he got the job done and won that major championship. But um, it's a really beautiful golf course. It's, it's a it's a classic golden age, Perry Maxwell design. You know, it's sort of straight out of the 1930s, that golden mm. age period of architecture. And it's just a really beautiful walk. You know, this is mm. my first time here, my first time to Oklahoma. And I really enjoyed the walk around and uh, this is going to be an, an awesome PGA Championship. I really can't wait for it to get going. Hey, Evan, uh, I love the sound that they've got some shaved areas around the greens. Uh, that's uh, right up uh, the Australians' alley. Tell, tell us a little bit about the rough um, off the fairway because uh, that seems to play into the hands of Americans. It does, yeah, but it's because of the PGA Championship has, has come back to the month of May, it doesn't have that summer growth to it. So, you know, not that I'm an agronomy expert by any means, <laughs> but uh, it's, uh, it's, it's Bermuda rough, so... It gets it, it, the the leaf grows really tall, and the, and the ball, if, if it goes into the Bermuda rough in summer, it can sort of sit down the bottom and, and really be troubling for for the players. But because it's not as as sort of thick and deep as that as it would be in summer, the ball's sitting up just a little bit. Um, they've got a first cut, which is you know the fairways here are pretty generous, and there's even a few shared fairways actually. So it actually reminds me of um, Concord Golf Club a little bit, which hosts you know the New South Wales Open and has been cleaned up by. Tom Doak, and uh, but this this has been restored under Gill Hands, and I wasn't here in 2007. But from watching that major on TV versus being here now, it's a lot more open and, and playable and wide, and, and just just mm-hmm. a gorgeous golf course. But that rough that rough will only be troubling for these these guys if they sort of miss the fairway by about 10 to 15 yards on either side, and that's, that's pretty hard to do because, like I just said before, these are really generous fairways, and we're talking about the best players in the world, so. It shouldn't be too much of a. Uh, it's more the, the design and the green complexes which are really going to challenge the players this week. The front nine, a couple of players have told me the front nine is really tough. Jason Day just told me earlier that, that he's you know he can see even Par being a good score on on the front nine all week, and then sort of you know take your opportunities on the back nine. And it's a par seventy at seven thousand five hundred yards, so it's going to be mm. difficult. It's almost going to play like a U.S. Open. Hey, Evan, of the eight Aussies, and you said obviously all of them are in contention to win. Obviously, Cam Smith's number four. You just mentioned that you'd walk the course with him. How's how's his take? What's his take on the course, and how's he looking? Yeah, he loves it. He um, he he said he, he said it reminds him of a Sydney course. You know, it's not a sandbelt classic, but it's uh, it, it's got a you know sort of like a big bold hills like you'd see at Terry Hills or Concord or something like that. He loves it. He's swinging it good. He was really hitting his driver smooth and nice today. Um, he's been doing a bit of work on that. He told me after the round that he's worked hard on the driver the past week because it's been a little bit squirrely um, in the later stages of the Masters and, and in the Zurich Classic and the, and the RBC Heritage, Heritage at Hilton Head, I should say. So he's done some hard work at that, but he also took a couple of weeks off after those three tournaments, which really took it out of him. He had his cousin over from Australia and he just did some fishing and he totally switched off for two weeks. And then he got back in the gym, back on the course last week, and now he's, he's pretty fired up. And he says he's confident he can take that form from the Masters into this PGO. From a, a world perspective, two of the big stories, obviously, coming into this uh, PGA Championships, Tiger Woods, how he's playing and how he's uh, preparing. And also Phil Mickelson, not defending his, uh, his title. What's, the, what's the, the word around locally about that? 
around is that, you know, it was his call because he informed the PGA of America, which runs the PGA Championship. He informed them on Friday afternoon. It was a bit of a Friday afternoon news dump, and they insisted that he was more than welcome to play this tournament. So he's still kind of on this self-imposed exile, and, and his presence is definitely missed here because one of the stats gurus that I know at this, um, you know, he said that it's the first healthy major championship winner who wasn't isn't defending his title going back to the 1950s. So this is really rare, you know, and, and it's, it's generally the, the vibe amongst the media and the fans, it's just genuinely sad. He made some shocking comments, obviously, and no one condones that, but the, the punishment sort of doesn't seem to fit the crime in the fans' mind at the moment. And we're talking about a guy who won a major championship at the age of 50 and gives him around to defend his title. It just sucks for everyone and no one wins out of this. And then to, to answer your question about Tiger Woods, Look sharp. I walked around uh, in sort of the last two holes of his nine-hole practice round this morning. The limp is still pronounced, but I think he's just going to be dealing with that for the rest of his career and the rest of his life. Um, but he was striking the ball well, and um, he played a practice round yesterday afternoon, and I was told that he was absolutely flushing it and barely missed a shot. So I, I think he, he's like the Masters. He's going to surprise a lot of people this week, and he's, he's potentially going to get himself into contention. Now, Ev, you've got a tough gig there, Um covering all these majors, but you're sitting in the media room now, so it's good to hear you're doing some work, mate. Uh, uh, talk about the elephant in the room for us, uh, the Saudi Rebel League and Greg Shark Norman. How much talk about that? Uh, you've mentioned Mickelson, but did you come across the Wayne Grady comments about the Shark this week, and what did you make of that? Yeah, yeah, I did. I did, and that surprised me because, as you know, um, you know that, that he sort of comes out of that era of Norman and Elkington and all those sort of great players, Ian Baker Finch, and, you know, to, to sort of break ranks there and, and really smash Norman was justified, but a little bit surprising. But, you know, it, it's hard to, to disagree with, with what Grady was saying. You know, this this is just sort of, you know, to excuse the pun here, but it's jumped a shark. It's at the stage now where every new development seems to be some sort of new gimmick, and I, I don't know how it's going to play out, but there, there is certainly a lot of chatter around the PGA this these past couple of days about, you know, how it's going to shape out. There's all sorts of theories that there's going to be some weird, you know, things happening at this opening event in London in a couple of weeks' time. Like, players are going to be driven to the course in London black cabs and they're going to be wearing team uniforms. And um, they're, they're sort of, you know, Greg is, is locked into this this battle with the PGA Tour and he's saying that he's just released a, a statement yesterday saying that if the, anything happens, you know, legally, that, that he's the LIV golf business has has the players backs they're the players who want to want to jump ship he has their backs and um and what i will say is that this this isn't over just yet you know he's not going to go down without a fight greg uh, and, and uh it's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out evan thank you so much for your fabulous insights and uh, enjoy the next four days a job that uh, you're getting paid to do that many would pay including all of us obviously uh to do so yeah enjoy the next four days thanks so much Thanks for having me on the show, and Marco and, and Blakey, uh, I'll, I'll speak to you later. But, yeah, thanks for having me on. Pleasure. All right, and coming up next, uh, Cherry Picked is none other than the voice of uh, women's golf and also golf around the world. Join us after the break. Welcome back to the show, and our fabulous Cherry Picked guest for this week is a woman who uh, toured as a pro for six years before being given this Amazing opportunity, a big decision in her life, and she decided to turn right instead of left. Ali Whitaker, 
wonderful to have you on the show. Commentator on the uh, on the men's European tour on the LET. Um, you've 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 commentated really around the world um, back in Australia as well. I wanted to ask you how did you make that transition and and what how was the opportunity presented to you? My goal number one is to flood the market, right? <laughs> so I've been um, I've been incredibly lucky though. I have to say, so much of um, of what has happened in my career has just been really good timing. I think and people being receptive to a new voice and and that aligning for me. So, uh, but it was kind of all happenstance, uh, really, when. I got asked to fill in in China. I was playing on the LET at the time in Charmen. And um, and I played that morning. It was actually my birthday. I had tonsillitis. Like I was like – I was feeling so crook. And then if they wanted to find like a voice to fill in for the afternoon. They wanted a European voice. So I was at lunch. They said, everyone said you'd be good at this. So can you stick around? But we really want a European. And I was like – no kidding. Like, yes. I, don't, I don't blame you. <laughs> what you know? accent do you want me to put on? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, my French is a little rusty. So um, I hung around and they couldn't find anyone else. And then they came back to me and said, will you fill in? And then by the end of the day, they'd offered me work for the next year. So and I was very how, lucky. How was your throat by the end of the day? I was pretty hoarse, but I just loved it. Like it was, it was such a fun experience. And when there's only – there's only two in the box for Ladies European Tour. So – it's quite a, a cool little relationship that you have with your, your co-commentator and, um, yeah, I just fell in love with broadcasting. Hey, Ellie, uh, you're a star at it. Let's get that out. <laughs> you're really, really good. When I tune in on, normally on a Friday night and I hear your voice, it's really comforting and we're all so proud of you, you know, Thanks. being over there and doing so well. Um, but this question, I don't know how to ask it. I wasn't a very good player. You only lasted for Do you think, you know, because you and I had to struggle and had to think of golf different ways, that that's actually helped your golf commentary? Because let's face it, if you're good at it, you're just good at it. You don't have to, <laughs> you don't have to work out why you're good at it. But no, maybe you did. It's a, good, it's a good point because it's kind of like I, I relate this back to short game because short game never came naturally to me. And because of that, when, you, when you're good at something, it's quite hard to teach, yeah, I, I right. find. And so – Ironically, whenever I did tutorials, my short game ones were always the best right. ones. They were the ones that people liked because I struggled like them, so I found ways to, to kind of get around it. But for me, my, it, it feels like my golf career was a precursor to this rather than the other way around, which I think it is for a lot of people where they have their golf career and then they kind of fall into commentary. And for me, it felt like it was a build-up to finding my real passion. It's a bit like the best coaches have never yeah. all, they've never been the best players. Alistair yeah. Clarkson. Yeah, yeah, that's right. The, be, the, the best coaches always have to have to fight to get <laughs> to where they were yeah. as a player. And I reckon that comes across beautifully when you commentate. So, well done. How many okay. nights will you sleep in your own bed this <laughs> year? Uh, I'm trying to work on more because I got get stuck over hundred. Uh, I think, no. yeah, it should get over 100 this year, okay. but in previous years it, it certainly hasn't. So then give us the overview of your year in, in a summary then. you know, Where does your job take you? Uh, it takes me all over the place, which is brilliant. So I, I'll work on most continents this year. Uh, I think at the end of the year I've got four continents in five weeks or something like that. So there's a lot of hopping around. But the one thing that I really love is – being able to work in Australia in December and January. Mm. For me, always having that excuse to come home for family and that kind of thing and the alignment of Aussie summer. I just love Aussie summer. So I'm glad that my job allows for that as well. We saw you at the Athena commentating and obviously working with Mark as well. From that perspective, um, and you speak about coming home and commentating on the golf here, what's the, what's the women's golf like, the state of women's golf in Australia, and then in comparison to the state of women's golf internationally? 
Uh, first of all, I have to say that the Athena is probably going to be my favourite event that I work on mm. throughout the year. And and that's it sounds crazy when you're thinking about the likes of, you know, going to the 150th Open later this year yeah. and, you know, I'll be sitting there with Nick Faldo and Frank Nobolo and, you know, and never feeling like I belong, which I think is a good driving yes. force. Um, a, a slight sense of imposter syndrome, I think, can be somewhat healthy as long as you manage it well. But the Athena was incredible because – you got to see the life of those 12 girls. And that's what I have always loved about women's golf. Like it's by far and away my passion. I know that's not necessarily intuitive for a lot of people. They think once you get to men's golf that you've kind of made it. And, I, and for me, when I work with the women, it doesn't feel like work for me. It's, it, it is my first language. Mm. It is such a, such a fluid thing for me to just fall into that passion. So I love that. But Aussie golf, we don't have as big a talent pool than a lot of the other places like the UK and the US. And so participation in terms of girls golf is crucial for us and just trying to get more girls into the game. Minji Lee, her great success on the weekend, her seventh, uh, her seventh LPGA title on the back of obviously her first major last year. Just your take on her game on the weekend, but, but her rise and rise. Uh, I'm so proud of Minji. I know a lot of people are. It's easy to be proud of people when they win, but – I'm proud. I've been more proud of the person that she's evolving into mm. and the maturity that I see with her and with her relationship with men as well. Mm. Um, I'm loving that because they're quite naturally different people. Um, mm. Min, Min Woo is that boisterous young buck, wants to get out of the gates. You know, he's sassy, he's cheeky. And, and him winning as well has actually allowed for that relationship to evolve in, mm. into something that's really lovely as well. I love seeing them support each other. She always has. He's always had a point to prove he's doing that now. And I think that that's just adding an element of ease to that relationship. But Minji's just a gun. She's so steady, especially Tita Green. I'd love to see her for her own relationship, for her own relationship with the game, I guess, have a couple more of those moments where she makes the putt to win on the final hole. Yeah. Um, but she just wears everyone down. Like classic example on the weekend, Lexi's all over the place, Minji's hitting fairways and just applying pressure all day. It was her mental game, wasn't it, that really allowed her to secure that on the weekend? Yeah, and and her, her golf game, to be honest with you. She's she's almost flawless, Tita Green. Um, and, you know, she had, I think it was on the fourth hole, she missed a, a, sh- a small putt, brushes it off, just keeps, keeps about her business. Number one in every category from 100 yards to 240 yards. Yeah, yeah. Leads yeah. the tour in every single category. Hey, can we double back just on your career um, uh, in the booth? Uh, because my frustration now watching the game is the slow play. <laughs> t- t- tell me about you. I mean, what, what is said behind closed doors? Um, you know, when people are trying to get players to finish on time, it's so important for production. It's, it's something that not many people really pick up. How, how much influence can the commentary team and the broadcaster have on slow pay, play in, in the future? It's it's interesting because it depends on the broadcast as well. So women's golf gets showed up way more than yeah. men's golf purely because we have less cameras. Mm. So and when you've got less cameras, you might only have one camera that's live watching golf at that point in time, whereas the men have 15, 16 cameras and a bigger budget. So they they might have three play, players mm playing at the same time and so they can kind of shoot through those three shots whereas we're sitting on one shot for two three minutes so we're showing all of the chats and stuff like that so from a broadcast standpoint it's naturally going to show up more in women's golf than it does in men's because you can't hide it Um, you don't have the you know there's a lot of technical stuff like evs machines that are constantly recording stuff you just don't have the budget 
to kind of mm. sweep it under the rug as much. Yeah. Uh, the other side is I would love for them to learn that if they don't finish on time, like TV plan for 10 minutes before you go off air, that's your finishing time. If you bust that, then you lose your prime time slot. That's it. And that's what happened on the weekend. It happened so often on Golf Channel and NBC where they run over. I think they actually had a fog delay though this past week as well. But if you run over, then you lose mm. your moment, that's you know, right. to do it on the biggest stage and that's you get right. put on streaming things and it's just, it's worse for the game. So how do you then, how do you then address that? Do you educate you educate the players, of course, but like the on course, can you can there be someone trying to speed them up? I mean, what's the best way to address it? We talk to rules officials, so there are times actually where people are like they're playing too fast, and so rules officials will go and they'll say, "Hey, can you guys slow down?" Like that's the flip side of the coin. People don't understand that. Yeah, so that, I've seen that. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's constant chats between. Like we have a radio in our production truck going, yeah, we're doing well for time or not not us, but the, yep. you know, the people behind the scenes, the director, um, saying we're, we're looking good for a 350 finishing time or whatever. So there is – that conversation is happening, but there's a lot of can you give them, give them a r- yeah. wriggle on yeah. because, um, you know, you promise something to the broadcasters around the world that it's going to be this time and you want to make sure you can deliver, deliver that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ali, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your style because you're an in-booth commentator, not an on-course commentator. Why, mm. why is that? Why did you go that direction with, or was that sort of… It's warmer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't get rained on as much. Um, for me, it wasn't a choice because when I started on the LET, they don't have an on-courser. It's, it's literally you and another person, a mic, and very little direction even in your ears. So you might not hear from a producer for… Mm four, five, six holes or if something goes, you know, or a leaderboard pops up, pops up and they go, can I have a, you know, a clean out for people that want to go to an ad break. Yep. Um, and then my first gig with men's golf was on course. So I've done, I've done in-course interview, you know, I've done post rounds, I've done in-round interviews, I've done on course, I've done in the box, I've done mm. colour and I've done lead now. So I've literally done every single role, which is brilliant for me because hopefully that helps me get the best out of the people I work with understanding that. And I wanted to – I know the answer to this question because I've worked, worked with you a lot, but you are an absolute fastidious note-taker and I don't know how many spreadsheets you've got at home or how you do this system, but you guys, Ali is a keeper of anecdotes and notes and stats and stuff like that. You She's have to unbelievable be. with her preparation. Uh, you know, how do you do that? Is that, is that getting out of control? Have you <laughs> your house overrun by spreadsheets or something like that? Uh, that that's the imposter syndrome again <laughs> that just keeps coming back, So, which, which fuels me, like I said. But for me, a broadcast feels like an exam every week, if you can imagine, like mm-hmm. the idea. And I was the person uh, that had the textbook out before I walked into – high school exams, you know, I was the one that like wanted to get as much information as I could. Like there was never enough. Um, I think for my peace of mind and longevity, I probably could maybe trim it up and try and get a little bit more Mm. understanding of which bits I am and am not using so that I don't have to spend, you know, the late nights quite as much. Because to me, when I turn on a a golf telecast, I want to hear something that I don't know. So from the commentator... Because I can see the picture. I mm. can pretty much see what's happening. So tell me something I don't know. And I, I think you do that really well, by the way. So uh, I know that I help you sometimes at <laughs> yeah, some, so some then... of the local events. But <laughs> yes, you do. Everyone a few does little, A few little uh, you know, bits of gossip or something, you know, something that someone did or somewhere someone went, you know. It's a good point, though, in the fact that – and it's something that I'm really passionate about is, like, I would not be as good as my job if – 
the journalists weren't writing, you know, yeah, the, what yeah. they wrote. And if we weren't, like, we have fabulous access to players. So if I have a question, I can go and find them and ask them. And and it's definitely, a con- like, we can filter in all of that information and choose what we want to do with it. But the, but the jobs that everyone in media does makes me better at my job substantially because if I go online and there's nothing online about someone. But it comes down to a, you, though, doing the research. Yeah, well, yeah, if it's, if it's there to find, hopefully I do find it. But you miss stuff all the time. You just hope, like, that's my big fear is that I don't want to get to the end of the week and realise that they had something going on at home and this is a big moment for them in their careers. Uh, finally, this is my big bugbear. Yep. It's, uh, you've got to fix it for me because all the commentators are great. Mm-hmm. They, they, they stop talking when you can kind of hear a caddy talking. Yes. Right? You can kind of yep. hear it. Can you please organise this for everybody <laughs> sitting at home? Can we just get somebody in with a microphone capable of picking up what the caddy is saying? Now, I'll give you a great instance. Um, when, our, when our guy, uh, Cameron Smith, was on the well, 17th. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, it was on the 17th. Yeah, they get the bad stuff. <laughs> when he was on the 17th hole of the Players' Championship, yep. I wanted to hear where he was aiming. And they kind of stopped. You couldn't. We know we've got microphones these days that can get in nice and close and you can yep. actually hear. Can, can you just organise that for us? Because I think it's something that is a curiosity to people who watch the game. It's also a curiosity. I want to know what mm. that caddy is telling the player so I can evaluate whether it's right or wrong in my opinion. Can, you, can, you, can we organise that, please? Yeah, working on it. Good the kick, the kicker you. with that role is that often – they're volunteers yeah. as well. And so, like, we have a couple of regulars on the DP World Tour that are always there. And, and they're, like, some of them are exceptional because they, they kind of start three metres away. And if you pan back in, you know, in 10 seconds' time, they're one and a half metres yeah, away. Like, they've slowly yeah. crept in. Yeah. And um, good audio on the golf course, I think, is it's the, it's, it's the best. It's the one thing I missing. love it. It's, yeah, the, it's the one thing missing in our game. Yeah. A real understanding of the caddy player chat before a really important shot or a really difficult shot. Yeah, I I wish that in our line of work that I would love to talk less. Like my goal is for them to get better information from the course. If we could hear every single caddy chat in the lead up, I would opt for that every, yeah. every single day, well, day of the week. To more money and putting more microphones out there, more yeah. people. <laughs> hey, you're, I want to know your thoughts on the uh, on the Australian Open, the men and women coming together, and I think on your uh, home turf. Correct. Yeah. Oh gosh, I'm so excited. I'm so proud of Australian golf in the fact that we have such a small sample size and a small group of events that we can be really effective and Mm. test some boundaries with it. Uh, The Vic Open. My one bugbear is with the Vic Open is that we didn't have the guys, the big name guys, come and support it. It was a real opportunity for those guys to do it, and I think they've missed it. And I really hope they do that with the Australian Open. For me. The headline names would love to see them there. Mm. The girls always come back, like the Mingies and Hannas, but but they've also got homes in Australia. Our guys have made homes for themselves overseas. So and it's been last two years, it's been really taxing yeah. on them trying to get back at all, which I totally uh, respect. But uh, how exciting, mm. you know, to do something we can we can write our own little uh, chapter of history over here in Australia and, and do the things that no one else is doing in golf as a as a result of that. This might draw a long answer but I, I can't let you go without with Tiff sitting here you know head of female engagement mm-hmm. do you think things are changing in Australia as far as getting young women and that was my next question yeah. girls to play golf because you know you came through that phase where you, and, and you remember at Victoria still I think so um, do you think it's changing for the better do you see things that are happening that are good or do you think it's got a way to go we've got a way to go but but we're doing it which is great uh, I think for me when I was so when I was young, mm. there was one girl off single figures in the sand belt. 
like in the whole sandbelt for mm. me to play with. Lauren Forster, she was a member at Kingston Heath. So we literally switched golf courses almost every weekend and played with each other to the point where her mum, Heather, used to always make the rolls. And I'd be like, it was always ham, ham cheese and lettuce. And she'd always bring the rolls, <laughs> yeah. you know, and that was part of the reason that I ended up playing on tour was because I had that. But there was no one else inside kind of 20 minutes. We had Kate Coombs down the coast, Emma Bennett in the country, but there weren't that many girls. Mm. And now there are lots more. So... From that standpoint, it is definitely better. We have we have a waiting a waiting list for girls to join Victoria Golf Club. Yeah, it's lovely. I'd love to see that waiting list go yep. and just get them in get the club. Get them in, absolutely. So, um, yeah, what what would be your solution? I mean, if there's a if there's a top hit for getting more women and girls into the game. Uh, I always thought that driving a golf cart was really effective. <laughs> it sounds silly, but like just getting a, getting them onto the golf course, giving them a chance. For, for that spark to catch is a really important one. But also having – like things like clinics I think are great. Um, and and it, it's quite an intimidating sport to get into. Golf, I think there's so many rules and so many people that are scared of doing the wrong thing that sometimes you just need to get them down to the range because you can hit 100 balls but if you stripe one, that, that'll it. get you coming Feel back. Feel it, yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. so as, as many, getting as many people to try it – uh, as much as possible. All right. Well, we have to go and we've got to let you go. But before we do, where are you off to next? Uh, England, Germany and Sweden for oh, the Scandi Mext as good. well. So I'm, look, yeah, really looking forward to that. And then it heats up over summer for, you know, the, the Open and the Scottish-Irish, all of that kind of yeah, thing. Thanks for coming Doing in. Evian, the Women's Open. So I'm so stoked. Well, we can't wait to hear your voice and uh, see your face <laughs> every now and then. Thank you, Ali. Ali Whitaker, uh, extraordinaire commentator, obviously a former touring pro as well. Great to have you on the show. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Good to see all your faces as well. And coming up after the break, we've got all the news from around the traps. Stick around. Time for the news and Martin, there's some great news with a handful of Aussie debutantes teeing up for the Women's US Open in a couple of weeks. Yeah, well, so Grace Kim got in uh, in her, I think, first year as a pro. So uh, they have the qualifying for the US Open. It's at Pine Needles in a couple of weeks' time, start of next month. Uh, Sarah Kemp, who's a bit more of a vet, uh, got through as well. And Gabby Ruffles, who has actually played a US Open before, uh, She's also in the field. So Gabby, Gabby's an interesting one. And Grace, they're both playing on the Epson Tour, which is the secondary mm-hmm. uh, tour. So, um, you know, they're just making their way. Gabby's really interesting one because she was a great amateur, obviously won the US Women's Amateur. And then she sort of lo- had lost her way a little bit at the start of her pro career. She just didn't have a, any playing rights, uh, tried to sort of qualify for events and stuff like that. That just hasn't really done that much so far. But, boy, you know... Big talent, Gabby Ruffles. So it'd be interesting to see how she goes. It's at Pine Needles. Marco, have you ever played there? No, never played. I've seen it on the telly. It looks magnificent. It's uh, the venue that Kari Webb won her second in a row, US Open, I think 2001 or mm. 2002. So uh, one of her greatest triumphs. She absolutely dominated the field. So that's some good news. Tiff, uh, Victoria won the Interstate Series. They really Went need down there. That was the fabulous. Golf Australia Interstate Series, which uh, for the listeners at home who don't know, this is the team's event for all the states and it hasn't been played for the last two years because of COVID, they really need to think of a better name for it than the Interstate Series. Can't, couldn't they well, put someone's go. name to it? If like, we've got some listeners out there who've got a, a better Australian, name. The yeah, Interstate the Series is the most... Championship or something. 
It's the most bland name I've ever, ever <laughs> well, heard. It makes it does it makes it sound like it's just some Mickey Mouse event yeah. to me. You know, well, anyway, it, it is actually a very big event, and it was made bigger this year by the fact that it hadn't been played, which I mentioned. It was at Sorrento, uh, the Victorian beautiful one. Beautiful course. They, they dominate. So it's it's now, uh, Marco. It's been changed. Uh, it used to be eight players, boys, eight, uh, eight players, men, eight players, women. It's now eight players total with. Yeah, I like it. For each men yep. and women. It makes more So sense. the Victorian women dominated. The men, Victorian men didn't win their competition. They have a separate competition yep. of men and women and then an overall. So the Victorian women dominate, dominated and they had Amelia Harris, who's 13 years old. She won nearly every one of them. Oh. I think she lost one match. Ridiculous. 13 years old out of Yarra. Watch that name. At that, I mean, at that level, like uh, you asked most of the pros, that's the best level of golf that they played as amateurs is in the State Series. Well, Kirsten it? Rudgley played in it. Yeah, yeah, she did. Yeah. Harrison Crowe played in it. Yeah. He won the New South Wales Open this year. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And, and quite often uh, in match play, you know, you've got to shoot six under the win. I mean, that's yeah. just the way it is at those State Series in the past, and I'm sure it was this year as well. So Molly McLean at 15 as well from uh, the National was also in, in the Victorian team. So it was a great women's story, that, that one, and the men did their trick. Andre Lorte was there as the captain on the men's side. So Victoria won that, uh, a great result. It's a really difficult end to it, and I'm going to send out a shout-out a shout to Trevor, Trevor Hurden and his family. Uh, Trevor, for those people who don't know, a lot of people will know him. He's a legend of Australian golf. Uh, he was a tournaments director at the PGA Tour of Australasia for many years. He then went over to the US Tour for four years or five years. Came back, he was the tournaments director for Golf Australia. and He's uh, gone into more of a part-time role now, but he's running the tournament there and he collapsed on the last day. Mm. Ended up in hospital uh, with, with a uh, medical condition. He's now been moved after a few days in, uh, out of intensive care, so he's, he's on the way up. So, Trev, just hang in there, son. Uh, he's You're a great, great friend of mine. Uh, he he would shake your hand and lift you up off the ground. He's that strong, so I'm sure that he'll he'll uh, get through it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and news-wise, I think there was, I mean, obviously we've spoken about Minji as, a, as the big news, but also ahead of the PGA Championships. Anything out of that from your perspective? Uh, just the Saudi stuff is is bubbling along. Um, you know, we, we saw Wayne Grady during the week. We we spoke of that about that about that before. There's no doubt, Marco, that they are they will uh, get some sort of series yeah, going. Players going. That they'll yeah. they'll get someone. It'll take a while. It'll it'll be a lot of players on the US tour who aren't on the US tour anymore, and that that'll happen. Anyway. Yeah, I, I think it's going to happen. It's just it's not taking off just at the moment, but it's causing a lot of angst. Will it play out in the courts? It could if if the if the DP World Tour who are rumored. It's been rumoured that they will ban players who, who seek exemption and go and play there. Um, it could go to the courts, yeah. All right, watch your space. But uh, right now, we've got Marco's Masterclass coming up after this very short break. Marco, Minji, at the top of the list, no doubt. Uh, same as last week, this is. And if you go and watch Minji Lee when she makes her backswing, her head just dips one inch. And we spoke about this last week. It helps so much with the shoulder turn. I'm sorry I didn't do a video last week. I was a little bit busy, but catch the video this time and I'll explain it. Every single great player with a perfect shoulder turn, it seems they dip one inch. Now, I'm doing it myself and it's really helped my shoulder turn plane. Just experiment with it. If you don't think your shoulders turn on plane... Try to, when you make your backswing, just lower one inch. Watch what happens. I watch it over the weekend. You're spot on. Thank you. Catch you next week. See you next week. Thanks, Blakey.